Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Halex. So we're actually doing our show a little topsy-turvy today. Um, I automatically record things when Luca and I get online, and we ended up diving into some stuff that was I've been grappling with the last couple of days and stuff that Luca's been grappling with, and um, ended up, after we had a really good chat about it, deciding that uh, maybe that's what we need to talk about today. Um, I actually encountered something the other week where I was having, I was trying to engage in a thought exercise that was around uh, a new business plan that I'm working on for a a business with a friend uh, that is involving furniture, reclamation of the stuff that would be heading to the dump, stuff that people are abandoning, stuff that people are throwing away, uh, that they want taken away from their homes, but there's nowhere to send it. And in this business plan work, Um, We were looking at the target market, usual part of business planning, who's your ideal customer, where do they live, what's their age, all the demographic stuff, right? What's their financial level, what's their educational background, what's their race, are they married, what's their education, I think I already said education level, Um, their income, etc. And I was, it was the third time that I've been trying to engage with that since... Over this past year, I've been, there's a number of different startup businesses that I've been having this conversation around. And I realized that I kept having this resistance, this pushback. I was not wanting to do these thought exercises. And I was, I was being rather stubborn about it. And I started feeling really sorry for my business partners because they just kept encountering this like recalcitrant Rebecca, which is like, no, I don't have that information. I don't think we can speak to that. I don't feel like we know what our ideal client is. And I'm uncomfortable with these questions that we're asking about race and marital status and economic background and educational background. And I I couldn't figure out why I was being stubborn and slow. And maybe I just didn't feel like putting the effort into this work. Maybe. I mean, that that can be the case sometimes, but um, something kept niggling at me. (laughs) And then one day uh, while we were having a conversation around it, the penny dropped and I realized that all these questions around demographics those factors I was just listing, they're the same factors that privilege and oppression lie along. So finances is a a form in which we have privilege and we have less privileged or oppressed, right? We have education. Who has access to education? Who's been able to have education? What has that education done for them? Again, Privilege and oppressive things line up around this. Uh, Race, marital status, gender, all of these things. Again, axes of privilege and oppression. And it was suddenly this thought came to my head. I went kind of big picture and it was not about this furniture project anymore. It was about, wait a minute. If I'm pulling information from wherever along these axes, How am I applying that information? Because 
it seems to me that if I'm using information that parallels axes of privilege and oppression, I have power over how that information is used. Now, when you think about how a target market practice influences business creation, especially in a startup, it's huge. It influences what kind of vibe you're going to set for your store. Where is your location going to be? How are you going to, to message what it is that you're offering? Like what phrasing are you going to use? What um, imagery, imagery are you going to use? And then what modalities are you going to use to give that message to reach the people that you're intending? it influences so much of what you then become. And I started to wonder how much power do we have in that situation in creating our target market, whereas we're perceiving it as being an unempowered position. When you're starting a business, you're like, how do I just make this financially sustainable? So you just think you're just pulling information that already exists and then building on that so that you can make a financially sustainable business. What if though, this becomes a way through which we are actually grandfathering in systems of oppression, systems of racism, systems of classism. And I was so disturbed by these thoughts. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really know what to do with these thoughts. It just, I'm having them and I don't know what to do with them. So I've been having a lot of conversations over the last few weeks around, am I crazy uh, that I've seen this sort of par parallel? Like, cause they're different things. I'd never put these things together. A conversation around systemic oppression seems to be over here on the right, over here, it's in social justice work. And then, you know, just defining your target market so that you can create your business seems to be way over here in an entirely different location. But it was that overlap of the demographics and the axes of privilege and oppression that really clued me in that maybe there's more power there than we realize. Well, I was thinking about the, just the concept of systems. Um, if you systematize something, then um, on, on a, you know, on a most logistical level, it makes it simpler, faster, easier, if you do it well, right? But so, so it's smart to use a, an existing system or to create a system for yourself to make things easier. However, there are assumptions built into systems like, well, this is the information we always collect. So I ran into this when I was trying to figure out um, marketing um, for, for what I do and finding somebody to do, um, to do social media um, promotions for me. And, and the questions they were asking me were reminding me a lot of, of what you've just been asking, mm. which is what in information are we collecting? Right. And I, I think that we create expectations by what we ask for. And, and, and expectations in ourselves, never mind expectations in the client or the market or the, you know, whoever, whoever our target market is. And, and I've been trying to turn this model on its head and encountering huge amounts of resistance. And the resistance often comes in the form of, well, you just don't understand if you understood this better, you wouldn't be asking us to do it in a different way. Mm. So, so, you know, come back and see us again when, when you've seen the light, basically. 
um, when you understand better. Right. But, but you and I are looking at this and saying, there's something about this that is uncomfortable. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't fit me anymore. Yeah. And I'm, I not, and when, when it's new like that, we're not always in a perfect position to be able to articulate it in yeah. a way that other people are going to understand because we're yeah. still trying to figure it out ourselves. Yeah, exactly. But, I, um, you, you know, we used to have a different norm for quote unquote first world countries um, than we had for um, quote unquote third world countries. And, and I, I put quotation marks around it because there was an assumption, a built in assumption there that uh, first world countries were more humane. They were, they were more enlightened. They had better systems, the better, better standards for work and employees and, and better safety standards, all kinds of things like that. Right. And yeah. third world countries just, they were backward and they just didn't know any better. Not that we, that we were creating the very environment that made them third world, quote unquote, and that they would have done a lot better if they could have, but the system is set up so that they're being held in place. So, but do we do the same thing between the haves and the have nots in our own country? But we like to believe that because we're a quote unquote first world country, we don't have the have nots, but we have the have nots. They're, they're just um, in places where we don't have to look at them. So, so as soon as, and so you had a taste this in the last couple of weeks of, of what it feels like to be in one of those positions that is in the shadow that where people don't know enough. So the people who were, buying from this service didn't know enough about there wasn't enough transparency about how this whole system works and and then potentially who's being used and abused by this system that looks on the surface like it's providing a service for them that's right. a that's a great service and that's affordable well yes. it's affordable at the cost of whom yes right? exactly exactly yeah We'll, we'll pop in now. I'll, we'll, we'll do a quick rewind here and we're going to um, share with you what it was that I had a bit of a rant about. Um, if it feels like a bit of a jump, you'll just know that uh, this is now me explaining what I've been learning over the last month as I did some work with Instacart on the side in order to make uh, ends meet. It's been a really tough month. It was something that I could access right away. And uh, here's what I have to say about it. Uh, I decided this morning that after two days of Instacart making me cry, that is not a good deal. I will not do any Instacart anymore. <laughs> so what's Instacart? That's how I've been making the money to pay for groceries and to pay the bills that were due this month. So Instacart is uh, the company that will, that you can buy. It's sort of like, you know how you can go and order your stuff from Spud? Yeah. Instacart is a third-party platform that allows people to do that from other grocery stores. So um, you can go onto their app, I think is how they usually do it. Sign yourself up as, a, as a, somebody who wants to buy things. Choose the store you want to buy things from. So like Superstore, um, Costco, TNT. That they don't, I don't think the other stores really do it. You can get like M&M meats. Not that many stores do it. And then you can choose everything you want from the store's menu. 
uh, Instacart mm. charges you a, a, a higher price than what they charge in the store. So that's how they're making their money. I don't know if they also charge a fee mm-hmm. on top of that. I have no idea really what the mm-hmm. person who's buying things side looks like. But what they do is then they put those orders onto their app and I go onto their app and I can see, they call them batches. So here's, here's this one. Here's how far you're going to have to drive after you pick up the stuff. Here's the number of items that you're going to have mm-hmm. to pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look at it to see what's the Instacart fee and what's the tip, which is really the entire thing is your what your earnings will be. So it's not really, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't feel like a tip. It feels more like the waiter waitress thing. Mm-hmm. And because uh, Instacart's paying a, a pittance. So not even like 40 or 50 cents mm-hmm. for an item. And even... If, mm. if, if somebody orders like 12 of something, even, you know, no matter what size it mm-hmm. is, you get paid for one of those because it's one kind of item. <laughs> so you don't get paid per item, you get paid per kind of item. So wow. I've been averaging for this last, so I've now done about 40 of these shops. Most of them have been for multiple people mm-hmm. because their single ones are usually like $15. Well, you can't get anything done in less than an hour and a half with the driving time and with the lineup time, mm-hmm. with the time for hunting items in the store. Mm-hmm. So an hour and a half for $15. No, F you forget that. That's with the tip included, which mm-hmm. the tip they, mm-hmm. they can renege on. They can change that on you. If yeah. They want. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Average tip for people has has been like two dollars. That's what people want to pay. So even mm-hmm. people are paying one hundred fifty dollars mm-hmm. in groceries. I'm shopping an hour and a half for mm-hmm. them. They're interested in paying me two dollars mm-hmm. after I shop for an mm-hmm. hour and a half, drive it to their door, bring it to the. I have to carry it sometimes all the way up into their condos, and I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm going to be in a mm-hmm. condo. There's no parking available. Mm-hmm. I have to cover my own parking fees. Um, today I had to fight. A so ticket. this is not a good business model. This is not but a good business. It's absolutely model. exploitative of I'm only been using it because I can get the money that I earned the same day, which mm-hmm. I've needed to do this last month because mm-hmm. I couldn't pay tomorrow's mm-hmm. bill or I couldn't pay for food today. Mm-hmm. So I needed to yeah. have that quick yeah. turnaround. And so it was possible, but I've injured myself while doing it yeah. because some people have locations that I have to go up all these flights of stairs. Mm-hmm. There's no indication of that on the app at all. You don't know where you're going to deliver to when you accept mm-hmm. an order. Um, I've yesterday I made a small, mm. a small mistake. Like it's such an easy mistake to make, even though I have a three time check on all my orders, mm. I put something in the wrong bag and had to take an hour out of my time to make it right, to go back to another place, get a replacement item, bring it back to the person. An hour of my time that I couldn't do another shop, an hour of my time on my gas. And that person mm-hmm. result for me having made the order, right. They removed their entire tip. They were like, F you, you didn't get it right the first time even though I'm the one who found it and I didn't bring them their order until I told them that I realized it was not correct and I was going to fix it. Mm-hmm. And the Instacart app people told me, um, thank you so much. They said, thank you so much for, for doing this, for going out of the way to make sure it was good for the client. We need more shoppers like you. Well, I have no incentive to do it again. I gave you an hour of my time, mm-hmm. my money on gas, got my tip mm-hmm. removed, which is the same result that I would have got if I hadn't spent that hour of my time and the money on gas. So what mm-hmm. motivation do I have to possibly mm-hmm. do that again? Yeah. Aside from your verbal pat on the head and you all, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so annoying and I'm rated. I'm rated the same way that Airbnb is in the sense that it's a five-star mm-hmm. rating, but it's just binary. If you don't get five stars, you're failing. 
and they start showing you less of the good mm-hmm. batches. Well, there's no good batches in Vancouver. I've been online and like reading the information in the forums about this and people in other places in, the, in Canada and mostly in the States. In other places, mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. the norm is that um, people who are, who are doing this a lot, they won't accept the orders where the tip is um, less than the Instacart payment. And people kept saying this mm-hmm. and I was like, wait, I'm sorry, what, is that a thing? Cause I've not even encountered more than 20% of the Instacart payment as a tip total in Vancouver. In other places, people are paying a hundred percent. What? <laughs> so in other words, a $15 Instacart fee and then a $15 tip because someone knows you're paying, you're, you're doing, you know, two hours of work for them. And they're like, thanks. I give mm-hmm, you. I'm getting paid tips that are less than than a pizza delivery person who just takes it to your door. I'm choosing. But this, this is the on Insta on Instacart's part. This is a scam yeah. because they get to look like they're providing something for the customer at a really reasonable price. I don't even know if it looks at your expense. Yeah, I don't even know that it looks that reasonable. No, and the and the client price. doesn't know what that what you're getting paid and what you're not getting paid they don't know right to them this is they pay it to instacart and and everybody's short of money right now and scared and especially in a city like this where everything's so expensive yep like it's it this is a bad it's a bad system it's it's so bad so yeah after yesterday with this person like ditching their tip on me after i had worked so hard to make sure that i just you know out of integrity made sure that things were right for them (laughs) not it was three (laughs) dollars that was a good tip and i was like three dollars is nothing obviously it's not yeah i really don't care about three dollars it was the spirit of it that really got me you'd be better off to work as a waitress yeah yeah and um, better off to work as a waitress and uh and then today because i got a i got a parking ticket three minutes i was inside that building and there's i don't have a credit mm-hmm. card that works i couldn't pay for the meter and mm-hmm. i and i was like look i'm just going up i looked around there's no traffic officers well by the time i come back somebody was just taking the picture and walking away i'm like i ran after them and i and i i, I kind of lost it thankfully i had my lanyard on and i had my box that i carry stuff in and i'm like i just mm-hmm. made an instacart order please i cannot afford this i can't afford this ticket I'm doing this because I need to pay for gas. <laughs> she said, don't you have a credit card? And I said, mm-hmm. I do. And I can't put anything on it. I cannot pay for the meter here. There's no option. There's no loading. loading mm-hmm. There's no free parking here. Mm-hmm. I have to bring this to the customer's door. Nobody ever offers to come down to the lobby to take it from me. Not a single one, no matter how much stuff mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be carrying. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was holding all of this stuff at bay mm-hmm. in a big way because I know it's temporary and I was choosing to do it because it was serving the, the yeah. immediate needs I had right yeah. now. So yeah, I was yeah. choosing to be in a place yeah. of gratitude. Yeah. I was choosing to be in a place of empowerment. Mm-hmm. But yesterday and today, mm-hmm. I, I kind of, well, yesterday morning when I was doing a shop, um, my loony that you use for the cart you have to have a loony to be able to get a cart out, right? At mm-hmm. store, and I'd left mm-hmm. it in the pocket of jeans at home. I don't have any other cash. So I went inside to try mm-hmm. to buy one of their $2 tokens that you can use, which I always lose, but whatever. I needed something to be able to get a cart out. And I went to pay for it and it declined. And I'm, I didn't know why it declined. I should have had $10. I mean, I figured that's all I would have had, but I, I figured I should have two, $10 in my account that I can buy this. 
And when I didn't, and I said to the lady, and I just sort of looked at her, I'm like, I, I don't have it. I don't have it. And I need, I need a cart. I'm here to do an order. <laughs> I need a cart. She, something went like this. She could not look at me anymore. It was like my situation was so uncomfortably desperate for her that she could no longer mm-hmm. look at me in the face. And yeah. I realized last night that all of this experience, the whole time I'm doing this, I'm writing articles in my head of what needs to be known yeah. about mm-hmm. how we're, we are not yeah. valuing each other. We, we perceive how we're doing it overseas yeah. Yeah. in sweatshops and things. Yeah. We're really not cluing in yeah. to how we're using mm-hmm. people around us right now in the community. And, yeah. and I realized last night that I'm, this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm doing, I've been doing this and I can walk from it. Thank God mm-hmm. I have the privilege that I can walk from it and I will find, we'll find a way through. We'll, we'll make it through somehow. Mm-hmm. I know that. But there's still other people who don't have a choice. This is something that is, yeah. this is the only avenue that they have. But that by, yeah. by realizing that I was going through it for this purpose, so that I'd have familiarity with it and understanding of it, suddenly the door opened and I could mm-hmm. feel the humiliation the humiliation yeah. that this has been, yeah. I've been kind of dissociating myself from and not choosing to connect with, but oh my God. And it just went over me like mm-hmm. a wave and it was just like, no, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not okay. Yeah. 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 For people it, it to isn't. show up it's j- it, yeah. earnestness and sincerity and a desire to do a good job and to be, treated in such a way to be so devalued and so mm-hmm. unseen and it shows up and yeah. it's, in, uh, it's there in so many different jobs mm-hmm. right like there's it's everywhere yeah. but boy have i been getting a taste of it the last few oh weeks. yeah Oof. yeah 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 it's um i mean i'm seeing in more and more different ways how our systems are broken they're broken and they're broken worldwide. This is not, you cannot say anymore, well, this is a third world problem or this is a first world problem. This is, we because we're using one another globally. I can only buy five t-shirts because somebody in a sweatshop is sacrificing their quality of life um, because they have no choice. So maybe the sweatshop's not here in New York or Toronto, but it's... It's somewhere else, right? And that doesn't make it okay because it's not in our country. Right. And you know what? There's also a flip side to that. I was having a conversation this week uh, with Mabad that I'm working on the furniture project with because yeah. uh, we had somebody who was looking from the outside at what we were trying to create, which was uh, jobs for refugees and immigrants. And what can we do that would yes. create work for refugees? Yeah. yeah who are who yeah. struggle to access jobs, good paying yeah. jobs that can mm-hmm. here with their families, yeah. they can support their families, yeah. something reliable, yeah. something income. And um, we're building the plan around furniture, uh, all of the furniture that goes to landfills. Yeah. But most of it's yeah. great. It's good quality, but there's nowhere yeah. that accepts the yeah. furniture anymore that has the capacity to process no. it, revamp it, clean it, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. free, and make it either available for yeah. or even just for donation, whatever. So we're planning yep. a business around this. And somebody looked at, our intention was to pay a living wage to these employees. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Somebody was looking at it from the other, like you could say from the uh, a top logical place down saying people who mm-hmm. run their businesses doing furniture restorations and have all the skills of furniture restorations, they have the skills and they're earning um, and they're worth around $50 an hour. So you offering a living yes. wage to people to do that are exploiting cheap mm-hmm. labor. That was the perspective that they were taking. I can understand how mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. process was going on that. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's about what, what are you creating? Are we trying to create a furniture business mm-hmm. using cheap labor to yeah. sell furniture for no, we're trying to create sustainable yeah. jobs for families yeah. that are not accessing yeah. jobs. And I still feel really solid about our, about our perspective on this. And I, mm-hmm. in this conversation mm-hmm. about, I was actually bringing up how in Sri Lanka, where we lived, there was um, more than one garment factory in town and it was a desirable mm-hmm. place to work. People wanted to be employees. Mm-hmm. Our students in our school, they were thrilled if they were um, accepted into management traineeship at the garment factory. It was well reputed. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Not, I, I have a feeling that working conditions there compared to working conditions in warehouses here, well, I don't know, anymore, maybe compared to mm-hmm. Amazon stuff, they were still better. Um, but they probably were on the harsher side of things, maybe t- in terms of long working hours, mm-hmm. et cetera. That has to do with labor standards in that country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Exploitation. And the people wanted that job. Mm-hmm. If there was going to be a new garment factory that would open in a city, people were ecstatic, mm-hmm. because especially if it was a remote area, this was mm-hmm. an opportunity mm-hmm. to work. So, mm-hmm. Some of what we perceive as the negatives of what we're calling sweatshops, some are sweatshops, may not be as negative for the community. If the choice is to have it or not have it, we might be surprised by what the community says. That does not mean that the people who are running it do not have power. They have power in how they're going to choose to set it up. They absolutely have power and they can Mm -hmm. wield that power for good or they can wield that power for bad. But there's Mm. not something inherently Mm -hmm. wrong with having a garment factory providing employment at a rate that is higher in that community than they might be able to access otherwise, but way cheaper than it would be here because that's the difference in economies. That's Mm -hmm. the difference in money. Yeah, that part is fine. But to to run a garment factory and have dangerous working conditions because the laws in that country don't legislate that they have to have safe working conditions. That's immoral. It is. And they can do it and it's legal, but it's immoral. And the pressure needs to be on the governments to increase their labor standards, hold places account, right? It's sort of like, it's like building the same thing. If you can build things cheaper and shoddier, you will. Because there's yeah. always a desire to increase your market. Where, where, where's the wiggle room? But I also, I think it's not just up to governments. I think that it's like you have a choice of paying a living wage or minimum wage. Right. You're, you're not legislated to do that. Right. But, but at some point, we, we, can, we can take responsibility for how we treat other people. Right. And it, like, it's not okay in a place like Sri Lanka to put people in factories that don't have alternate exits or whatever it is just because we can. No, agreed. Agreed. I mean, it doesn't make good business sense to use up your employees like tissue paper. No, right. Um, (laughs) On long-term it doesn't make good sense. Yeah. 
not and and I you know governments governments represent us if we don't push them they don't do it but if every business starts to offer better conditions people aren't going to go want to go and work for the ones that don't yeah but our prices here don't accurately reflect what goes into something so people are wanting to stay out of grocery stores right now so they will go to a business like the one you were working for in order to be able to get their groceries, but they don't really want to have to pay too much more because groceries are already expensive here. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're not, nobody is showing them what happens to the person who's delivering their groceries for them. They don't know what the breakdown is behind it. And until someone makes it transparent, they're not going to know. And some people aren't going to want to know even if somebody makes it transparent because if they know, then they can't keep doing it and feel okay about themselves. So with all that in mind, um, it's probably time for a song. <laughs> I have a song. I think so. Yes, I have a song. Yay. I have a song called Banksters. <laughs> the band is called EOB. I stumbled onto them a month and a half ago. Ooh, I like their stuff. They're a bit of like U2 mixed with The Doors and a bit of Zeppelin. And it's just got, they've got so many really interesting influences that I can hear in their music. Uh, This song is uh, some people coming to terms with the fact that the money that they thought was there is not there anymore. Let's take and listen to Banksters by EOB.
back to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. We just listened to Banksters by EOB. And we were digging into the lyrics as we were taking a listen to that. And one of the parts that I find most powerful is the where, who knows where the dough is? Because I can see some flow here. And it's the idea of, okay, uh, things aren't where I think they're supposed to be. And we're trusting in a system here. Where has all the money gone? And like you were just saying, Luca, it's like that idea of follow the money. And uh, yeah, when we look at a lot yeah, of- Because it doesn't disappear. doesn't disappear. When, when the economy comes to a halt, the, it, the money hasn't disappeared. Where is it? Yeah. A very important and apt time for us to stop and to acknowledge that the land that we are on that we will live on, that we work on. This is for Luca and I, as settlers, we seek to remember that we are on the unceded ancestral territories of the Tsleil-Waututh, the Coquitlam, the Squamish and the Musqueam. How appropriate for what our discussion is right now, because we as a nation have treated this land as a resource to be plundered. This is where the money went. It came out of the ground, it came out of the woods, it came out of the streams, it came out of the communities of First Nations who were existing in a sustainable, cyclical, nurturing manner. And it went into our coffers through which we built this nation and left them impoverished. It is the ultimate example of what we are speaking about on a very small scale. Well, it's also large scale what's happening in our economy, but it's the using of people and resources as infinite and expendable when they are finite and they are precious and fragile. <laughs> well, and it's funny because we talk about finite, they're not finite if we, if we respect them because they, they, um, they renew. But if we abuse them, then they become finite. Yeah, true. So if we keep it in balance, we're okay. And I think this is true. We were talking about sweatshops and about um, uh, how, we, how we use labor from other countries to, to um, subsidize the, the cost of, of uh, keep the costs lower for the things that we want to buy, like T-shirts and things like this. Um, but that's so we're we're then we're using people as expendable resources and um, it's not sustainable long term and it doesn't create a planet where um, where we can live side side by side with one another and feel good about how we treat one another yeah because I think if the people who were um, getting their deliveries from you knew how little you were being paid for, for those deliveries, they might have felt differently about how much tip they were giving you, but they didn't know. Or even, and they didn't ask. They, yes, they didn't ask. Or, or even how casually they expected me to carry sometimes very heavy things a long yes. physical yes. distance because my car wasn't going to be able to drive, drive it up to their door. Sometimes yeah. I had multiple, you know, I already said this, lots of staircases and sometimes it was in yeah. the pouring rain and dark and poorly lit. And I twisted my hip a couple times, you know, but uh, yeah, 
Yeah. We're just not, we're not thinking. We're not asking. So. No. No. It, no. it definitely begs the question, where can we be looking more closely? Uh, and that's why we do an acknowledgement every week, because that is one area where we as Canadians yeah. should be looking. Yeah. Um, yeah. In our food service industry. There's another one in the source of our clothing. We've had so many different guests on our show who make a business out of, out of more sustainably resourced and um, used clothing um, because they believe in providing that uh, in, in, in taking space in the economy and in the marketplace with a more balanced representation of what that looks like. We've had a number of different people who create products that are similar that way, uh, even mm -hmm. if they're consumables yeah. or what have And you. services. Yeah. 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 And and it it costs more to do business that way in the short term. In the long term, we got to measure costs in a different way. So it's not just the cost to our bank account, but it's our cost to, I mean, if you... If you've destroyed your your city or your community, then and your and your home isn't safe, doesn't feel safe anymore because people are having to steal in order to eat, then that's a different kind of cost than how much I pay for to for, to buy food. Mm -hmm. Having another set of thoughts. There's been something else that's been a little uncomfortable to me over the last month, as I have been. Uh, doing this side work with with Instacart to make ends meet for the interim, where people who are yeah. who love yeah. me, who know me, they know my skills, uh, have been feeling very unhappy to see me doing this kind of work. For those like my partner, he feels a sense of uh, burden, of shame and guilt that that I'm needing to do this kind of work, which is sometimes injurious to me, both spiritually in my spirit and in my body so that we can, you know, be making ends meet. Uh, I keep reminding yep. Yep. my choice. I I've been choosing to do this because it's possible. And I would rather engage in what is possible than be stuck in an interim limbo state. I, that's personally what is more helpful for me, but at the same time, I've reached my edge, right? I'm not willing to, in this way anymore but this this idea that i've heard from many people you know oh you're you shouldn't be you could be doing so much more you shouldn't be doing this it speaks to an attitude that we have and i think it's a very capitalistic or, or of of capitalistic origination where there's somehow inherently more value to different kinds of work and that that this is not worthy of me or something like that. Well, then you just twist that around a bit. Are you therefore saying that the people who, who do this and who don't have access to some of the other things that I can access, are they of less worth than me in the work yeah. that they do and they yeah. provide? Well, I'm going to call bull crap on that. Um, that's not a mm -hmm. healthy and helpful way to perceive things. This is what happened with women over the last many centuries as we were at home taking care of the kids and taking care of providing food mm. and shelter for our families, it was on our backs that kingdoms were built and we were not acknowledged. But if we are not doing it, it falls to pieces. And so you don't perceive the value until it's gone. Just like in these, um, some of the uh, communities where uh, people, there were so many job opportunities available, 
that the people who had been working the lesser paid, harder working jobs were able to get higher paying jobs that they, that they preferred. They moved out of things like the service industry, so waiters and waitresses and taxi drivers, etc. And mm-hmm. cities were paralyzed. There was nowhere to go and eat in the evenings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was nobody to drive the taxi yeah. that you wanted to take yeah. because we take these things. So then we're looking at systems, right? It's systems. Oh, systems again. Yep. Again. Yeah. Comes and- back to these systems. And are they healthy or are they um, abusive? It's, it's so linked in as well with this attitude of pull yourself up by the bootstraps. If you work hard, you'll get good results. Well, no. Poverty is designed to keep people in poverty. There, the whole economic, economic system as we have it set up right now requires people to be stuck in these low-paying, high-risk, high-taxing on the physical and on the mental jobs so that the rest of the economy can keep moving. And yeah. at, a, at a low hourly rate of pay, which means that you have to work more hours to earn enough, which means that you are constantly exhausted and often working in order to just be able to maintain, never mind learning something new. Yeah. This is where the idea of a yeah. day's labor should equal you being able to support your roof, your food, and take care of illness and to support the other family members in your life. This is how it was, you know, uh, I read the book, oh, what's it called now? Oh, I'm blanking on the name. Sapiens, the book Sapiens. And it made a very strong case for how humanity lived in its pre-civilization, I'm using air quotes, pre-civilization state before we created cities, before we did uh, Mm -hmm. agricultural farming, before we created that. It made a case that we actually, we got domesticated by wheat. (laughs) That our life, our livelihood, our family- Well, by a crop, right? Yeah, that they all were compromised, that we had a lesser quality of life as soon as we had to start staying somewhere, sowing, Um, nurturing, tending, and reaping for those cycles, because until then, it's not actually that hard to gather enough for a day or for a week or for, you know, to plan for the winter and then to just relax and sustain yourselves that way. (laughs) We did just fine doing that for millennium. Well, and if the if your land couldn't support you anymore, you migrated. Yes. So we had migratory societies, right? But if you put if you put uh, boundaries around countries or kingdoms or or whatever it is that it's called in whatever era you're in, then people can't move from one place to another. So if if one territory is affected by climate changes or whatever it war or whatever it is, then they can't. They can't sustain themselves, but they're not allowed to go somewhere where they would be able to sustain themselves. Right. Yeah. So we still have it with countries that are going through climate change, like some of the countries in Africa that are deserts now, and they cannot sustain their populations. And yet when those people need to migrate somewhere else in order to be able to feed themselves 
we penalize them and make them second, third, fourth class citizens. Mm-hmm. There's yep. something wrong with this system. Oh, it's, it's so broken. It's so broken. More but, than one something wrong with it. I've got a second song choice for today. I don't listen okay. to to the mainstream music. I'm also kind of a middle-aged fuddy-duddy mom. Not really. I mean, I, I listen to cool stuff. But uh, when I heard this song, it was just like, oh, man, such a good critique. It's exactly where we're aiming for right now. Now, it's targeting it in on rich, white, straight men. Yes, I'm talking about the song by Keisha. But um, it really is, it's, an, it's a, an anti-ode to capitalism. So let's take a listen to Rich Wright's Straight Men. Please be warned, this is, uh, there is um, some profanity in this. Close your ears if you don't want to hear the profanity. Here's Rich Wright's Straight Men by Keisha. We'll be back in a few minutes. You could ride a unicorn to school And if you fall off, you'd have health care No, you don't! If you finish school, you'd go to college for free. That makes sense, and that's fair. No, it's not. And if you are a lady, then you own your lady parts, just like a man goes to a dealership, and then he owns a car. Vroom, vroom. Fuck you.
Welcome back to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. That was Rich White Straight Men by Keisha. Um, the lyrics were new. That's another new song for Luca. So pull- <laughs> I love it. I, love, I loved it. It was I so great. The attitude of it, right? Uh, first time I heard yeah. that, it was just like, oh, that's going onto the playlist. <laughs> Yeah, it's the call. It's the call and response, right? We'll, yeah. we'll just have this. No, we won't. <laughs> and it's pointing out the hypocrisy. Like we know that some of these things should exist in this kind of balance, yeah. but we have com- yeah. our system is set up otherwise. So again, kind of back yeah. to that first song. Where did all the money go? Where's this money going? Where's the flow that is happening there? Who is this serving? And in many times, it's serving the wealthy. It's serving the powerful because it keeps an oppressed under class of people who can't get out of poverty, who have to keep taking the low paying jobs. It's the low hanging fruit, you could call it, because they need a quick return of money for the bills that keep mounting. And of course, the the uh, penalizations on being poor. If you don't have the bill payment on a certain date, you get the late charge added. If the bill payment is an automatic one and it pops out and the money isn't there, you get a late, you get a, um, um, what is that? A overdraft, not overdraft. Yeah, you might have overdraft fees too. The not NSF charges. And sometimes you get them from both ends. Because of course, the logical response when you didn't have enough money to pay the bill on that day is, well, now you owe twice as much. <laughs> because that yeah. works for people. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. works to keep people. And in- I think it's a myth that it even... I, th- I think it's a myth that it serves the rich because it depends on what scale you're measuring on, right? If you're rich and you, and you have to live in, in, a, in armored cars and inside estates that are walled and, and defended uh, because, um, because there's such a disparity between what you have and what all the people who are supporting you having that have, then um, it it's like it isn't serving them either. Mm-hmm. It's a myth that it's serving anybody. And you're taking. I mean, how many? That's... How many? I I think of this. How many piles of money do we need to sit on? Yeah, it's true. When you're talking about the human spirit, absolutely. When yeah. it talks about does it sustain yeah. their wealth and their ability to continue to make the choices they do and stay. Yeah, in that it does. But but what kind of what quality of life is it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, and I think we're seeing some major changes around this, um, pushing pushing towards changes around this. They haven't happened yet with what's happening with, with the pandemic because yeah. people are having to dig deep inside themselves to help one another in spite of money. Um, and that's showing us what we're capable of. So we have we have restrictions on us right now, but we also have incredible creativity. Yeah. And, and I think we need to sort for that. What, what are the solutions in, because we can, we can sit and complain about how the system isn't working for us till the cows come home. Everybody will not everybody, but a lot of people will agree with us. Um, but, but where are the solutions? It's like, where's the money gone? Well, but, but even aside from that, where are the, other ways of doing this how else can we do it and who's trying that right now because i'm really there's a there's an organization that's based out of germany um called the house of beautiful business Mm. and they're getting business people together 
who want to make business a beautiful activity to engage in. They have a different view of what business as usual could mean, and they're changing it. They're actively changing it, and it was so encouraging to attend the conference, which I did this past fall, um, to, to listen to all these people who, who are experimenting with different ways of doing this and who are supporting one another and writing books, and they're all reading one another's books, and they're engaging in one another's experiments, and I think this is how we're going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So it's also where are we focusing our attention? We've got uh, B Corps here in uh, Canada, um, and I think all yeah. of North America, really. The process for becoming a B Corp yeah. is a lot of engaging in this kind of process of yeah. due diligence to make sure that you are being yeah. attentive to uh, livelihood of yeah. those working for you, of supply chain, of yeah. uh, responsibility with resources and the environment. Yeah. Um, that's another yeah. way. And I mean, on the small scale level, I left with my with my qu- uncomfortable questions around target markets. What I really came out the other side was, well, I just want to ask different questions when I'm defining target market. And I want to do it yes. in a position of I have power in this process rather than the yeah. uh, the unempowered, I just want to make enough money to survive. I'm creating something that will have yeah. power and influence. How do I want it to look? How can I be conscious about what I'm creating there to make sure that it is as accessible? And and when I'm choosing my questions, so when we choose our questions, we want to ask ourselves, why are we asking those questions? What is the answer going to give me? And what do I do if the answer I get um, is uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Like, do I... Because because every time we ask a question and we get an answer, we have an opportunity to change the next question or change change our answer. So we're and we're we're learning as we go along. I think if we expect per- perfection right out of the gate, we're going to shut things down that haven't even had an opportunity to um, get through the the beginning um, hurdles bugs. Right. So we need to give one another feedback. I mean, maybe this company that you were doing the driving for needs a, a big dose of, of feedback, constructive feedback. So if we assume that they're in this because they're trying to meet a need, then we can say to them, well, if you want to keep doing it and not go out of business, here's some things that you might want to think about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that's pushback from the people right now. When you get a company that's that big and that influential, yeah, it's yeah, back rather than feedback. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Standing up for yeah, each- and it might be you know like it comes from all levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. with all of that in mind, I wonder what's around the corner. Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halleck's Power Sorcerer. And Rebecca Mears, Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahallux.com. I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca. Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep, yep. Oh, 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 oh. Happy, 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 happy. Boing, 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 boing.